0: To the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who always shows up for preseason training. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello.
1: Hello. I appreciate that introduction as opposed to like a man who tried to sit out the next year of the Total Soccer show. That would be slightly more awkward, so thanks for that, buddy.
0: <laughs> so the news is Leo Messi has not shown up for Mm-mm. Barcelona preseason training, and I think coronavirus testing was also part of it. He's he's really all in on this I'm leaving Barcelona deal.
1: Which I still sort of cannot believe, and at this, like maybe it will reach the point where he will sign with another team, like be playing for them, and I will still think it's a move to try to get Barcelona to sort of do what he wants. Uh, that that probably explains my mindset a little bit, but it still feels very surreal that we're contemplating a world in which Lionel Messi is not playing for Barcelona.
0: So well, I guess if you want loads of detail on what's going on at Barcelona, uh, go back to last week's show. I yep. interviewed Graham Ruthven. He, had, he really did have all the knowledge. I, I didn't prep him all that much on what I was going to ask him, and anything I threw at him, he had an answer, which yeah, I Graham really, good. really appreciated. He's very good, right? Um, so if you want to hear all about Leo Messi leaving Barcelona, that's the show to listen to. I guess Taylor and I will just uh, we'll keep you updated with what, yeah. what happens going forward.
1: We, we will indeed. Uh, I cannot... Picture him going the Art of Tehran route of just not playing soccer for a year. I I don't know what's going to happen, Daryl, but I think, yeah, we'll definitely be updating. It's definitely going to be strange.
0: Today's show, Taylor, we are going to talk about transfers that have already happened That we find really interesting, yes. because the transfer window has been open a little while now. It's going to be open till October fifth. There's going to be more transfers, but there's loads of moves have already taken place, mm-hmm. mostly with the Premier League. I really did look outside the Premier League to see who else was spending money, and the answer is mostly the Premier League. Yes, um, <laughs> as, <laughs> as is spending tradition. money as is tradition. So I think honestly, all of mine are. At least Premier League related, with the exception of one young American on his way to Italy, which I'm sure we'll we'll get we'll get to. But yeah, this is our transfer roundup of the most interesting transfers so far. Yeah, Taylor, um, as the returning champion yes, after your vacation, I'm assuming you're all fresh voiced and full of vigor. Um, I, <laughs> whereas I'm full of vinegar because I was working last week. <laughs> um, I invite you to go first.
1: Uh, I'm going to start with a maybe less heralded one, uh, and it's in response to a question I had, which is has Gabriel Magales actually signed for Arsenal because I saw it reported as he, that was a done deal. Uh, and then when I started looking into it, nothing says he's officially an Arsenal player. In fact, he is still listed as a Lille player. They, mm. uh, reportedly bought him for 30 million euros. He's a 22 year old Brazilian central defender. I had to look it up and basically, it's quarantine that he has to do the mandatory two week quarantine before things can be announced. But he has done the mandatory. So Arsenal fans, if you were nervous, uh, he is currently in quarantine. But the physical is done. Very likely that he is going to be signing officially in the next couple days or will be announced officially. So that then led to what will he bring? And Daryl, I don't know how much familiarity you have with him, but I don't want to go off on a six minute monologue without allowing you to uh, to chime in with what you've got on Gabriel.
0: Um, I've seen a little bit of him before. I took a good look at him in preparation for this show. And I will say, Gabriel is the king of be- hands behind the back defending. <laughs> he, you know, there's like a, a trend recently, like Sergio yeah. Ramos does it a lot, where you, you're approaching to block a cross or to block something that's happening in the box. And you put your hands behind the back and then you make the block in full knowledge that you are not giving away a a penalty for handball. Gabriel, from what I've seen, does that every single Mm -hmm. time. But, and I think this is the key, he's so well balanced that it never looks awkward. And when you watch the rest of his play, I think of him as a player with really, really good balance. He's always stepping to be in the right spot to block what's coming in. And he's never... He's never sort of flailing in that Phil Jones kind of way. He's always perfectly balanced and fully in control of all his limbs. So I'm going to say a good signing for Arsenal.
1: I think so as well. And the reason why I would agree with but emphasize what you've said already is because I think he is 6'3", is what I saw reported, Um, Mm. but does not look it because he doesn't have that sort of tall... Awkwardness. I didn't see those sort of David Luiz-esque reckless challenges because he's trying to make up ground or he's going in, but maybe the guy's a little bit quicker and has cut on him or something like that. Yeah. I saw him be very good, smart with the hands behind the back, as you said, but good in the 1v1 defending, good with the kind of sharp poke tackles when the situation yes. is on. The other thing I saw that I think we're both big fans of of is the, like— sprinting uh, and standing challenge where you're running at full speed <laughs> and you sort of step across them. The Paul Pogba yes. special is what I'll call it. He yep. is extra good at that and he is extra good with that left foot. His long range distribution, pretty solid. So all in all, I think it makes a lot of sense why the color and Arsenal wanted him in there. And I should finally note if you're maybe a passive Arsenal fan or passively aware of Arsenal, different Gabriel than they had before. That was Gabriel Paulista. <laughs> and now we have Gabriel Magales.
0: Arsenal, I think their defence is going to look a lot better I next season because they also have Saliba um, coming back. I think they bought him from Saint-Etienne and then mm-hmm. loaned him for another year. Teenage French centre-back um, who's really, really highly rated. I can't say I know a lot about him other than just people are very excited about him. So between what I've already got, plus Gabriel, plus the possible emergence of Saliba, plus the way that Arsenal just is starting yeah. to look really, really good. It's all clicking, right? And Do you remember William. our, um, our uh, project... Free. Do you remember our Project Restart preview? Yeah. And I I was all about how Arteta was going to get Arsenal going. And then they were horrible for like two or three games. I want to say in the long run, I might be right.
1: (laughs) In the long run. I like that idea of like six years from now when it happens, then you can claim it. Does that still count?
0: And here's, here's my one bit of evidence. Um, and yes oh um, is the in the uh, community shield the uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang goal mm-hmm. starts with one of those risky arsenal build-ups where they're passing it yep. uh, i think to elneny in the box and liverpool like forced them back into their own into arsenal's own corner but they passed their way out of it and have pulled liverpool up so far and then they can spring Aubameyang. And mm-hmm. I think you're really seeing some like high-level, almost Guardiola-looking stuff from Arsenal. Add some really good centre-backs to that, and I think it's a recipe for success.
1: Yeah, and so as you said, they've got Saliba so they coming back. The other two we should mention briefly. Pablo Mari coming in from Flamengo, 26-year-old central defender. And then yeah. uh, Cedric Suarez uh, right back from Southampton signs on a free. So they've done a decent bit of business in terms Brilliant, of volume. Really as well. But I think Willian. it's also in quality. Yeah, exactly.
0: Will- Willian, for free, and I know a lot of people scoffed at the wages, but I still think Willian's a magnificent footballer. He will definitely add something to that Arsenal attack.
1: Absolutely. And maybe a little bit of a chip on the shoulders since he's still in London, but with a different team. Maybe he wants to prove that Chelsea maybe should have given
0: him a little bit more money. Absolutely. Or a All few right. more years
1: maybe is more accurate.
0: <laughs> I want to give a quick shout to Liverpool, who I think have done a really good bit of business. Um, do you remember what happened when Andy Robertson got injured or suspended or had to take a rest last season Taylor
1: I think they just crossed their fingers and put on a body
0: they put James Milner James Milner ah, at yes. left back and so James yes, Milner did a, a fine job but he didn't do an Andy Robertson job right mm-hmm. he wasn't like burning down the left wing and terrifying people um they've gone out liverpool and made it i'm going to call it a sneaky sign-in a couple of weeks ago they signed uh costas uh Simikas from uh yeah, right, right, right. for just 11.75 million pounds not a lot of money 24 years old so he's not a youngster that needs you know needs to learn the game or anything like that and i i watched him against wolves because Olympiakos played wolves in right. the europa league it's the worst game I've seen Adama Troyore play in a while because uh, Simicas kind of shut him down and Simicas got forward and put in a load, a boatload of Andy Robertson-looking crosses, including one that Olympiacas should have equalised on if not for a magnificent Rui Patricio save. I think Simicas as a backup and potential rival to Andy Robertson is a great move for Liverpool.
1: I agree, and I would double down on what you've said because we have a friend who's an Olympiacos uh, fan. He, I think he told us to keep an eye on uh, Simikas. Oh, yeah, this and is it,
0: this is why I knew to watch him. is because yeah. Pav said, keep an eye on Simikas. Yeah, but I don't wanna want claim to claim f- this. Uh, all, I'm not Sam Tai. I don't want to claim this all for myself. That's fair.
1: But it's, it's one of the <laughs> rare occasions when it actually works out because so often you'll hear yeah. like, oh, watch this guy. He's going to be the best. And then because you're so focused on that player another player sort of comes, t- comes to the table because you weren't expecting much from them, but you are expecting something from the other person. And I'm with you. that I was paying less attention to that game than you were, obviously, because of rooting interest. And I think I was editing a show at the time, but I kept <laughs> hearing his name, and I kept seeing him forward doing yeah. attacking things, and then occasionally you'd hear his name doing defensive things. It's a good shout, Daryl, and it's a good sign so, yeah. by Liverpool, because it's I'm- basically depth in a way that I'm guessing he will be okay with being depth for a club like Liverpool.
0: Absolutely. Uh, to give a bit more background, Pavard said to us, keep an eye on Simicas, um, some Premier League clubs are interested in him. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll see yeah. him next year playing for Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, he signed with the champions, Liverpool.
1: So maybe you'll see him playing for Liverpool next season.
0: <laughs> maybe. Yeah, you will, definitely, because there'll be a bit of rotation. Andy Robertson has played a lot, a lot of games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, OK, who you got next, Taylor? Who's your next interesting transfer?
1: It's an obvious one, Daryl. It's it's uh, Scott Carson. How do we not talk about Scott Carson? Mostly... Where's he because he has gone back to Man City on loan for the mm. second straight season, uh, and essentially what I did to catch up was I scrolled the Guardian's I think list of transfers that have happened, uh, which is where the magales one was confusing to me. Uh, but and then I kind of made notes on any names that jumped out or seemed odd. And this <laughs> one, I was wondering, what does that mean for Zach Steffen? Uh, we thought maybe he was going to be the deputy to Aderson next season. If you're bringing back a uh, veteran Scott Carson, does that have any implications? I am comfortable saying that it does not. Uh, Carson played zero minutes last season behind Aderson and Claudio Bravo. Claudio Bravo has already left. Uh, there is some speculation that maybe he's going to be the replacement. That seems unlikely, that maybe they're still in the market for another one. I still think that that replacement is Zach Steffen. But my assumption would be that he's not going to complain about being a third-string keeper under Pep Guardiola and Man City, that he's going to get to play for a club of that high profile and probably the money that goes with it. Yeah. And I'm going to guess also counts as a domestic player and a homegrown player at that, so that probably also helps him in terms of being in the squad even if he's not playing
0: absolutely this is like a, a rob green at chelsea move exactly right? where you know you're the third choice you're there for absolute Emergencies, but it's you know literally a safe pair of hands. That mm-hmm. one moment in the World Cup, accepted, it's a safe <laughs> pair of hands um where you know that if your your first two keepers get in trouble or injured or suspended, then you've got this guy ready to go. And mm. then it's always good just to have an experienced keeper around, right? Especially True. if you've got a youngster like like Zach Stefan. I mean, a youngster mid twenties, right? But for for a keeper, it's a youngster because mm-hmm. of course Claudio Bravo has gone on a free, I think he signed for Real Betis. I believe that is correct. So the hierarchy at Man City is now Aderson, Zach Steffen, America's Zach Steffen, um, and then uh, according to my source, Taylor Rockwell, Scott Carson as third choice. That's a good little setup.
1: It is. I was sort of frustrated to see so many English uh, papers talking about this move and mentioning that Man City have no other goalkeeper, so they'll still be in the market to sign one. And it was like, well, they've got that one Mm. guy that we all care about and you don't seem to, so we'll see what happens there.
0: Yeah, I think because Steffen was on loan at Dusseldorf last year, uh, a lot of the English press will just not have paid attention to what's going on, whereas obviously we're very interested in Stefan, mm-hmm. so we know. So we're one step ahead of the English press uh, just because we're interested in the men's national Wait,
1: team. Wait, are you telling me that the English tabloid press are not concerned about the state of the U.S. men's national team?
0: They are not. It is, not their, uh, it is not their biggest concern.
1: Yeah, but that was one that <laughs> just sort of jumped out to me. as like, uh-oh, does that mean Stefan could maybe fall down the pecking order a little bit? And I'm no. comfortable and happy coming away from that thinking, no, probably not.
0: Don't be a nervous national team fan. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to pivot us to uh, let's let's stick with the national team. Let's stick with the Western McKennie sure. to Juventus transfer, which is officially happening. Yeah, which we also coming. There's photos and everything. It's definitely happened. It has. Um, I had a long conversation with David Amoyal about it last week. It's I would excellent. recommend that show. Yeah, he was really good. Um, but you and I haven't talked about it, Taylor, because this all unfolded while you were on vacation. My my first question is. Were you really at a beach in Delaware or were you in Tur- Turin making things happen?
1: I assure you that if I were in Turin, there would be an entire story about what's going on with Pavel Nedved because those faces, <laughs> my friend, those faces in that unveiling still make me laugh today. If you haven't yeah. seen them, go look at his faces, especially when he's staring at camera. Sometimes he looks like looks like Patrick Swayze, Pavel Nedved does. Yeah. Sometimes he looks like he's never seen a camera before. And this was one of those times.
0: <laughs> It was a great person.
1: It's like he had just heard that story about like the camera stealing your soul and was maybe a little bit concerned about it (laughs) in that moment. I cannot explain the facial expression (laughs) he's making.
0: Well, what's your take, Taylor, on Weston McKennie to Juventus? I mean, mine has been recorded and published. I don't know if you listened to the whole show, but at mm-hmm. the end of the David Amoel interview, I basically gave my take on what I think uh, Weston McKenney to Juventus is, how it's going to go. So I'm interested in what what you think about it.
1: Well, why don't you, re- I mean, I, I did listen to that whole episode, but for people who did not, why don't you recap that really quickly?
0: Oh, I see. I see. Just for, for you especially or for our listeners? No,
1: for listeners. For sure. No, <laughs> I really did listen. I thought it was a okay. great interview. I will admit I have not yet listened to the Graham Ruffin interview, but I have okay. listened to David Amayal yet.
0: I, I like your honesty. I like your honesty. <laughs> so um, David's take was that essentially McKennie was something of a Blaise Matuidi replacement, mm-hmm. which is not the glamorous central midfielder in the midfield three, but someone who's going to um, do a lot of defensive work and be, you know, really high energy in terms of closing things down. And my take is that McKenny might not start the season. He might not even have a good start to the season at Juventus. But I think in the long run, it'll work out really nicely. Because what I see is him slowly establishing himself And not having the burden of um, having to produce attacking results like he did at Schalke. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time, uh, my complaint was always that I thought McKenny was forcing passes and forcing dribbles, like desperately trying to make things happen. Whereas for Juventus, he can be a guy that just, you know, he can step high, win the ball, maybe beat a player because you know he loves a drive and a dribble. But then the option will be, instead of like, oh, do I play it into Bergstahler again? Mm-hmm. It'll be like, <laughs> I can give this to Ronaldo. That's I can give same. this to Dybala. Yeah. We can really make things happen here. Yeah. So essentially, I think he'll be a great cog in a machine, as opposed to someone really trying to carry too much weight on a threadbare Schalke team.
1: Yeah. Uh, if people have not listened, I would say definitely go back and listen. I mean, go back and listen to every single episode so that you're fully caught up. You should. Uh, they yep. all in inter- August 2009, inter- start there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like Lost. It's all interrelates. We just haven't quite figured out how yet. Uh, but yeah, that episode was especially great. And we don't have an great. end date. What's that?
0: And we don't know how it's going to end. No,
1: we don't. But we do. We totally do. It's all planned out. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, I think that episode made me feel better because of David's confident prediction that he would play more than 60% of games. There's a, contract, or a clause in his contract relating to that, and David expected transfer, to yeah. surpass that, which... Partially, I I will admit that I still feel like that might be like 10 and 15 minute cameos here and there, but I think the larger point of how he fits into that team, and once you sort of see it the way he was talking about, it makes, really just, it just is straightforward, makes a lot of sense in a way that I did not expect that transfer uh, to make sense. The thing that I'm still confused about, and you have helped me with this a little bit, but it's one I would like to talk about now is why Schalke were okay with this, because obviously, they've kind of changed their approach, they're going to be more selling, they're not so focused on immediate competition and trying to get those European places. So if they were focused on money, why then agree to let Weston McKinney go on loan with an option to buy at the end of the season? But I think you've got some answers to that.
0: Yeah, I mean essentially it's still money coming in, mm-hmm. right? It's four point five million euros for the initial year's loan. And then if he plays in sixty percent of games or more, it triggers and they still have the option even if they don't play him in sixty percent mm-hmm. of games, um, it triggers that you can that they but Juventus buy him for eighteen point five million euros um paid in three separate instalments. And then on top of that, there's a seven million euro um uh, that of money for targets met, which we don't know what they are. Juventus spelled all this out on their website, but they didn't say what the targets were. But I'm going to assume they're reasonable targets, right? They're not like, if McKenny wins the Ballon d'Or, yeah. we'll give you €7 million. Euros. I'm sure it's like, if he plays uh, 20 games a season, or if Juventus wins Serie A, or yeah. you know, things like that. So I think probably Schalke looked at it as... At the very worst, we loan him for one year for 4.5 million euros and we need the money and then we get him back next year. And at the best, we get 4.5 million euros. Then we get, what, like just over 6 million euros the next year and the next year and the next year, plus up to 7 million euros in bonuses. And they were asking for 25 million euros. And as far as I can tell, despite the rumored interest from Southampton and Hertha Berlin and everywhere else, there was never a rumor that anyone had actually said, yes, here's 25 million euros. I don't think anyone else was willing to meet the asking price. And Juventus have met it in this creative way.
1: Except from what maybe to Berlin, but then the reporting was that he did not want to go to Hertha or did not want to stay in Germany if it wasn't going to be with Schalke. So I think that's. Oh, and where... he wanted maybe
0: too much money, right? That was yeah. the other part of it, that uh, Juve can meet McKinney's wage demands. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So I think when you see it from that lens of maybe wasn't going to stay in Germany and Schalke didn't necessarily want to sell him to another German club unless it was a lot of money, which they probably weren't going to get, he, uh, Weston McKinney, had uh, identified the Premier League as a place he wanted to go. But I, I get the impression that Southampton's interest was interest as opposed to actively trying to sign him i don't think he was their number one priority i think he was on their list so then you're not going to get that amount of money that you might get from a premier league side there hadn't been much else really that i had seen of substance so then for it to end up being juventus in a number of different ways then it ends up making sense and ends up making me happy
0: and i would also say there's another american success story here and it's Corey gibbs who yeah. is Western McKinney's agent, because this could all have gone wrong, right? This could have ended with Weston McKinney being stuck at Schalke for a year, or maybe going to a team where we mm-hmm. didn't really want to go, and somehow it ended with Weston McKinney at one of the biggest teams in the world. So yes. well done to Corey Gibbs, Western McKenney's agent. I think, who, though, that, like... If people don't remember, he's a former U.S. men's national team centre-back.
1: DC United legend, how dare you? <laughs> um, but I think the thing that I am, like, like, sort of excited with from this move is that him going to Juve... I have lower expectations for him than I had for Christian Pulisic going to Chelsea because at that moment with Chelsea, it felt like he is being brought in to be a big performer. The money they're yeah. spending on him, the like the reputation he already has, the pedigree he already has moving to Chelsea, it felt like he better be starting every single game. And when he wasn't, it was a little bit nerve-wracking. Whereas with McKenny it feels a bit more to me like when Clinton Dempsey went to Tottenham from Fulham, that it's sort of going from this established place where you know he's going to play every single weekend, you know he's mm-hmm. going to get tons of minutes, but maybe has reached the limit of of his development with that team, moving to a side where I don't expect him to start for Juve day one, or if he does, I don't expect him to start every single match day from then on. Same. But I do expect him to grow into it, and it's I feel like it's been a while since we had an American move to a club Certainly, of this high profile, if ever, but then like grow their way in when they weren't seventeen. It's a cool thing to see, yeah. and it makes me excited for those games when he does start and does have an impact. I feel like it will. It's almost like increasing your difficulty level in a game and then having success and feeling like, "Yay, we're moving up, we're leveling up, this is getting better." That's about where yeah. I am with it.
0: It does feel like an like like he skipped a level, yes, right? Like it it does. Do, it, in in my head, it should be Schalke. Then it maybe should be. Southampton yeah. or some team like that and then like be a standout at Southampton mm-hmm. and then Juve swoop in yep. so it's like he skipped a step um, but to your Dempsey comparison the big difference is that McKenney's only 22 right? right he only just turned 22 last week he has time to feel his way into this. Like you were talking earlier about ten, fifteen minute cameos, it might start out like that, but there's no need to panic about it, right? It will yeah. be. A, I think he'll nicely ease his way in. There's lots of minutes to play for Juventus because they always you know, go deep in competitions and have all kinds of games. So there's lots of opportunities for McKennie to to play for Juve in the upcoming season. And for me and you, we don't watch a lot of Serie A, right? This I'm looking forward for an excuse to watch Serie A and to mm-hmm. watch Juventus, which means you'll be watching some you know high profile soccer.
1: I I would say this, like, I I think I do watch a little bit more Serie A than you do, but I don't always enjoy watching Juve, mostly because Sorry Ball isn't always the most attractive, but also because it's Juve, and they're very good, and you kind of know what you're going to get unless it's certain high-caliber opponents, so it does give you another reason to pay attention to Juventus and to see what they're doing. Uh, If André Pirlo wasn't enough, if Ronaldo wasn't enough, and everybody else they have, now we've got an American there potentially getting minutes, potentially getting starts. Yeah, I'm ready to watch a bit more Serie A. Let's make it
0: happen. Also, they're not Schalke.
1: Yeah, there there really is that, man. I am really okay with them not being Schalke, because as much as I enjoy seeing an American get consistent minutes in the Bundesliga, not when it's really, really sad and they keep losing games and he just looks sadder and sadder and less and less motivated. I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that Yuve makes him that much more excited, that much more motivated. And, you know, obviously USA winning the World Cup in 2022.
0: Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. You know what's going to happen? Nick Tattagry is probably going to start playing regularly for Schalke. Ah. And we're going to have to keep on watching them. It'll be worth it for um, a local lad to us playing for Schalke, playing in the Bundesliga, and for Nick Tatagui's career, his first-team career, to finally start. Because I think injuries have maybe delayed it, a season or maybe even two. Um, So maybe it's worth the trade-off of having to watch Schalke if Nick Tatagui is playing on the right wing. Meh.
1: That's what I said. But yes, no, it probably
0: is. (laughs) Watching is great, Taylor. Watching is great. But we know that our listeners are podcast listeners and we are part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And did you know there are more shows? There are more shows than just us on the Athletic Podcast Network. So let's take a quick break to hear about one of the Athletics' newest shows.
1: This is the Athletic Football Show. I think every football season's a big challenge in one way or another. Introducing The Athletic Football Show, an all-new podcast with me, Robert Mays, and a team of world-class NFL writers and analysts. We'll feature expert guests and our plugged-in beat writers from around the league. What Patrick Mahomes did in the last nine minutes is just absurd. You can subscribe now to The Athletic Football Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And stay with us all season long as The Athletic brings you what matters most in today's NFL. We have I- now heard about one of The Athletic's newest shows. <laughs> Daryl, thank you for that one. I did know that there are other shows. There's MLS Assist and there's also Allocation Disorder.
0: There sure is. There sure is. And there'll be a new Allocation Disorder for you uh, Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, getting into what's going on at Rail Salt Lake. Um, I'm sure you know what we're talking about.
1: Who, me? Or just people in general?
0: Both. Both, both. both. Probably. <laughs> it's a sort
1: of high-profile story.
0: <laughs> it sure is. Um, Taylor, um, yeah. if you go... I went I went before right with McKenna to Juventus what's your next transfer that you found interesting that you want to talk about
1: Um, I will. uh, My only one that is uh, really not with England would be Borussia Dortmund. And it's essentially just that they're quietly having a very fantastic window, which I guess is not that much of a surprise for Borussia Dortmund, who make smart signings and do smart business. But the way this summer has gone, I have to believe, it sort of reminds me of when Leicester win the title, and then everybody expects they're going to lose everyone, and they manage to hold on to pretty much everyone. Uh, it, It feels that way with Dortmund, who have thus far kept hold of Jadon Sancho, or at the very least have not sold him. for a cut rate price that I think maybe Manchester United thought they would be able to get him for which is why I think that move has stalled but then their other moves have been pretty smart pretty solid pretty straightforward let Uh, me
0: guess have they signed some talented youngsters they certainly have.
1: Uh, they've brought in uh, 18-year-old uh, Brazilian Reynier Jesus, or uh, yeah, Jesus, he's Brazilian, so it makes sense, uh, from Real Madrid on loan. That's a smart one. That's on loan, though. They've signed 17-year-old English central midfielder Jude Bellingham from Birmingham for £22 million, he's which incredible, is a by lot to spend on a, on a 17-year-old, but given their track record of development and Lately, of developing young players with a
0: familiarity with England, I think it makes a little bit more sense. Absolutely. Jude, uh, Jude Bellingham, as far as I know, um, played a lot for Birmingham last year in the championship. So it's not as if he's some... I mean, he's got more experience than Jaden Sancho, yes. put it that way, because mm-hmm. he's already played a whole season in the championship in central midfield. He's really good at going at people from the highlights that I've seen and also, I feel like he's just a really smart kid because yeah. apparently, this is a story I read, is that a lot of big teams were after Jude Bellingham when he was a kid. He decided, I think his dad's his agent and his dad decided, why don't we go with Birmingham? Cause we'll have a faster route to the first team and we'll get there a lot quicker. And so far they've been proved absolutely right. So Jude Bellingham, I think is going to be, I think he's going to be a big name to watch even in the Bundesliga first team tomorrow.
1: Yeah, Tomorrow, this season. I knew what you meant. Um, And I would never say Borussia Dortmund are like a selling club, quote unquote, but I keep seeing those conversations about what happens if MLS becomes a selling league and how detrimental could that be to development of players. And I would say this is a very good example of how if you have proven that you can remain competitive in your league and in European competitions, but still be a launching platform for players to then move on and have even more success – It it leads to success. It leads to development. It leads to money coming in. And I think Borussia Dortmund have done this absolutely right, that yes, they're spending 22 million pounds on a 17-year-old, that I won't be surprised if he has a couple good seasons if they flip for three, four, five times that amount of money. So that business makes sense. But then... Bringing in a Real Madrid player on loan, a Real Madrid player who is new to the club, who hasn't yet sort of cemented himself or his style necessarily, I think that works really well for them. They bring in this exciting attacker who they can sort of try in different spots and see how that's going to yeah, work.
0: What, what, yeah, one thing I want to query on that is, mm-hmm. is he going to play in like a Gio reina spot or is he going to play m- more like a backup to Erling Haaland? I saw I saw Lucien Favre talking about him as a nine or a nine and a half or an attacking Mm -hmm. midfielder, and it just had me a little bit worried that the attacking midfielder spots might be competition for Giorena. Even Jude Bellingham might be competition for Giorena.
1: Yeah, I think I think Giorena is going to have much more competition this season, and I expect we'll see him maybe get fewer consistent opportunities and then maybe try it in a couple different positions as opposed to just like, yep, he's on the left wing now. Yep, he's on the right wing now. I think he's going to pop up in different different spots because I do think that's where Rainier Jesus could fit in. He could maybe spell Erling Holland if if he needs a break. He could be a second striker or a partner with him. He could be a little bit deeper. But yes, it, it certainly limits the opportunities there from an attacking standpoint, as does the arrival of Jude Bellingham. Are you concerned about that?
0: Uh, not really, because I feel yeah. like they Dortmund are always in constant forward motion in terms of yeah. signing youngsters. Right, it's, it would be it would be a shock if they didn't sign a bunch of talented teenagers in the off season. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, I also, we should we should note that um, in terms of Jadon Sancho, you said they held on to him. Yep. He also signed a new contract that keeps, yeah. keeps him at the club till 2023. He signed that in early August. That seems like a big deal because it, it basically mm-hmm. means he'll be even more expensive to buy because he has a longer contract, right?
1: Yeah. So again, smart business there. But the final thing, you mentioned the sort of signing young players keeping Jadon Sancho there and having the contract's extension. But then they have made practical signings as well that are a bit more straightforward, at least in my mind. Emre Jean comes in on loan last season, has success. They make that permanent for £21 million. And again, finding a starting central midfielder who fits your system, I think in the current world, maybe not the current coronavirus world, but generally speaking, the modern transfer window, I think £21 million is good business. Mm-hmm. The other one would be, they had Atraf Hakimi on loan from Real Madrid. He has now gone, I believe, permanently to Inter Milan yeah he's so, a- in, so in comes Thomas Mounier on a free from PSG free from PSG first of all decent work there but second of all that's Mounier who played in a very attacking style with PSG in their different iterations with different managers and I think you can see sort of how he fits in how he will fit into that team so I think they've plugged some holes found some depth and found some like potential pearls in there as well
0: Absolutely, yeah, and definitely Jude Bellingham will be a reason to watch the Bundesliga, right? Yeah, um, alongside Girona for me, anyway. I've got, I've definitely got my sort of American future and English future yeah. covered every time I watch Borussia Dortmund. Does
1: it make you happy to see, like, because because it, it's much more common for young English players to move and, and be sort of subject to big transfers. Usually, it's from one English club to another. Yeah. How how like does it feel different to you, or is it just sort of like, yeah, it's another youngster. We'll see what happens.
0: What do you mean, when they're at, when they're at when Dortmund?
1: Jude, Jude Bellingham specifically, when it's like a young player playing in a lower level, not going to Manchester United and sitting on the bench, not going to Chelsea oh, yeah, and sitting it, on the bench, it, making that jump.
0: It makes me excited because I think if he'd gone to, you know, like a big six Premier League team, yeah. then you know he's going to be way, way, way down the mm-hmm. depth chart. And, you know, even Phil Foden's done really well the last two or three years, but it's been a battle, right, for him to get close to the first team. I feel like he finally managed it towards the end of last season. Whereas, for example, Jude Bellingham, I think it will be in competition for... Mm-hmm starting for Dortmund from week one. I'm not guaranteeing he'll start, but he'll be in competition from week one, right? From moving there.
1: Yeah. The the stranger question then for you, Daryl, and I hope I can make this make sense, is like, if this were an American, we would be really excited. If it's another 17-year-old moving to Dortmund for a huge amount of money, we'd be really, really excited. And again, yeah. for England, it, it happens more often. What is this sort of threshold for you of when you get really excited about a player? Like, what will it take for you to be all aboard the Jude Bellington, uh, hype train. Bellingham. Whoo. Bellington. Rock. Bellingham hype train.
0: It won't take much. It'll just like him impressing Saying for Getting his name right. Number at, one. At 17, yeah. 18 years old will just be exciting. The same as when Jaden Sancho just suddenly started dribbling past people and banging in goals. I was all <laughs> on the Jaden Sancho train. There we go. All right. <laughs> I, w- I do want to say one thing. I don't know if you have ever said this on the show before, but when, um, when Dortmund line up with Gio Reyna on the left, Erling Haaland at center forward and Jaden Sancho on the right, Um, that's, you know, an American, a Norwegian, Mm -hmm. yeah, Norwegian, um, and an Englishman, but all three were born in England. Weird. Yeah. Cause Gio Reyna was born there while Claudio Reyna was in England and Erling Haaland was born while Alfinger Haaland was in England and Jaden Sancho was just straight up born in England.
1: So it's coming home?
0: It's it's coming home. Is that what I mean? They're they're coming home. They're all going to do a (laughs) one-time switch.
1: Incorrect. (laughs) <laughs> no jokes, not funny.
0: <laughs> um Anything else to add on that, Taylor? Because if not, I'm going to move us on to a Manchester United player. Oh boy, let's do it. I'm pretty sure it's happened by the time this podcast will be published that Donny van der Beek has moved from Ajax to Manchester United for roughly £40 million. Pounds.
1: I mean... 35.7, but you know, that what give or take a few. I don't know. I've seen 35.7. I've, th- I've seen 36. I've seen 40. It's probably 40 is my guess. Yeah. That's why
0: I said roughly. That's why I said <laughs> roughly. This is a really interesting signing t- to me because, yep. um, you know, we've seen a good bit of Donny van der Beek, especially yeah. when Ajax had that run two years ago. Um, he really is. I've seen him reported as someone who can play as an attacking midfielder, a central midfielder or a defensive midfielder. And that's why he fits in anywhere in Manchester United's midfield. One of those things is a lie. One of those things is a straight-up lie. Danny van de Beek is a magnificent attacking midfielder with great technique, like an eye for a pass, lots of inventiveness, um, kind of playmaking. Right? Yeah. Um, he is a sort of no- he can be a number eight, up and down, high-energy central midfielder with great technique. This man cannot play defensive midfield. Yeah, he's a dedicated number six. We all know he it. What are you talking about? He absolutely is not. I, I will believe that he has played there when Ajax are playing against lesser yeah, opposition. Exactly. Right? I was saying to you 7 nil
1: against, yeah, Azad or something.
0: Yeah, or Veveve Venlo, Donny van de Beek could play defensive midfield. So could you, Taylor, right? I don't believe Danny van de Beek is going to go and be the defensive midfielder and replace Matic or McTominay and play alongside Pogba and Bruno Fernandes Unless Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just believes that we don't need defensive midfielders, let's go.
1: We're winning seven six, boys. Let's get it done.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, what do you see?
1: I think I think that then explains where some of the narrative is coming from with with this one, which is that that's a lot of money to play to pay for Donny Van de Beek, which. Really confused me at first because, again, with the market as it is or has been, that doesn't seem like that much for a starting midfielder until you realize that he might not be a starting midfielder. And then some of the consternation makes a bit more sense to me because, to your point, I guess he could theoretically be a number six, much more likely that he is a number eight or a number 10 for Manchester United. Or that's where he would be most comfortable. But that's where they have, I would say, Two of only a few locked-in starters when they're healthy in Paul Pogba and Bruno. So then the question is, where does he fit? And I think the answer is somewhere else or maybe as a deputy. So it's a strange signing in the sense that it makes a lot of sense. He's a good player. Everything we've seen from him or most of what we've seen from him we have enjoyed. It's just not going to a position of immediate need as I can see it.
0: So we did talk last season about Bruno Fernandes getting absolutely tired by the yeah. end of the season, right? He Very just true. played too many games and he was magnificent and you could just see him slowly wind down, right? Um, so I get the idea that you need someone to rotate and you and I had talked about the idea of needing like a number 10 who's almost as good as Bruno Fernandes, who was maybe willing to play second fiddle. And I could see the, the sales pitch to van der Beek is that you'll also be Pogba's backup. And then the thing that would sell it for me is if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer also said... There'll be games when we just go all out, and it'll be all three of you. Like the equivalent of playing very, very, very low in the in the Premier League. Uh, my question is: does does that exist? Like, is would it have been like Norwich last season, who were you know bottom of the league, where you just said, okay, we're going to play Van der Beek, Pogba, and Bruno Fernandez? Or is there no no game in the Premier League that's easy enough to play three attacking midfielders?
1: I think that, I think that's the answer because I think about like, like Liverpool's lost to Watford as an example. That's a game where I think in other leagues, you're playing one of the bottom, uh, teams in the table. They're having not much success. They're like sort of in between, like they've had a bunch of different managers and their approach is sort of convoluted. And yet they're still going to be good enough and have a consistent game plan on the day that they're going to cause you problems. I don't think there are any that you can sort of switch off and play Neymar as a center back and you're still going to win 4-0. <laughs> yeah. I
0: think that, I think that's right. Um, it is
1: the strange thing about like having just said it's not the worst idea to be a sort of intermediate selling club. I do sort of feel bad for Ajax that like if you and I were having this conversation and I said to you, like, oh uh, like Man United are gonna sign that Ajax Starlet, you'd be like, wait that one or that one? Or that one yeah. or that one? Because they've all been <laughs> sold.
0: I did I did read that Donny van der Beek is in the Ajax um tradition of Last year, they had a conversation. It was Edwin van der Sar, right, as the mm-hmm. technical director. They they essentially have conversations with players like Van der Beek and say, "Okay, stay one more year, and then we'll find you mm-hmm. a big club the year after that." Yeah, or, or and next I think, next summer, and that's so it was essentially an agreement between Ajax and Van der Beek that this was the summer he would leave. Which
1: I think does explain why this one gets wrapped up much, much faster than most Manchester yeah. United deals where they haggle and try to negotiate and fail to negotiate and then go back and then get linked with somebody else. That This one happened in, feels like a 48-hour time period, even though I'm sure it was a much, much longer uh, time frame. It still is sort of good business for Manchester United, but I feel like it probably is expedited by that agreement. And yeah. Ajax saying, stay one more year, and then we won't stand in your way, we won't make it difficult. And probably the relationship with Manchester United and Edwin van der Star probably didn't hurt
0: either. And you know what? There is an argument. You mentioned Liverpool earlier. Um, Liverpool it played is. three central midfielders most of last season. They essentially had six central midfielders who were good mm-hmm. enough to start, right? So there is an argument that to do well in the Premier League and most competitions now, you just need more than the starting eleven anyway. So maybe we shouldn't be so confused by the idea that maybe there are only two spots for Danny Wendebeek Yeah. and Pogba and Bruno Fernandes are already in them. He's still going to play... A bunch, of bunch of games. You know yeah. what I'm
1: saying? I'm glad you said that, Daryl, because you're right that like the narrative towards the end of the season was Solskjaer doesn't trust his sort of bench. He doesn't trust the depth. He's playing people consistently because he want, like they're the only ones who could perform at the level he needs. So then if the criticism is there's not a lot of depth, I don't know if you can necessarily fault him for going out and signing depth in areas yeah. of need, especially one uh, potentially occupied by Paul Pogba, who was injured much of last season and has yes. had injury issues in the past.
0: I feel bad for Fred, though. This feels like Fred gets knocked down the pecking order. Yeah, me too. Um, He's doing all right, though. He's making (laughs) some money. It's okay. I'm ready to talk about the other Manchester club. Oh, boy. So two interesting signings from Manchester City. I think the Nathan Akay signing, £41 million from Bournemouth, went under the radar a little bit. Um, I, think, I think just other things were happening, right? The Champions League was in full effect and all that at the time. This was the signing they've needed, right? An extra centre-back, a guy who's very good at covering ground, head on a swivel all the time, and really good at bringing the ball out of the back, left-footed centre-back. Nathan McKay, I think, ticks a lot of boxes for Manchester City, and it, it's one of those transfers that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm.
1: So it does, but then there are still the rumours that they're linked with Koulibaly, and yeah. that's where I get a little bit more confused.
0: I mean, I think they've needed many centre-backs over the That's last year. Sure. So yeah. signing Ake and Koulibaly would not, would not be a bad shout, especially with the weird rumours about Eric Garcia mm-hmm. refusing to sign a new contract because he's already got one eye on going back to Barcelona. Do you remember? I don't know if you saw all that. But I it did looks not. like Garcia Looks like Garcia is already thinking about leaving because he wants to go and play for Barcelona. Kind right. of a, a Gerard Piquet-style move.
1: Huh. That's odd, though, because I feel like Garcia was sort of in line, getting minutes... And working under Pep Guardiola, Mm -hmm. seems like that would be enough to kind of keep you in the Barcelona style, but maybe not. And yeah, and having just said that Manchester United might be wise for going out and getting depth in an area of need, I think Man City have obviously had an area of need in terms of centre-back. So yeah, probably the more the merrier would be the approach there.
0: Yeah, so Nathan McKay, £41 million from relegated Bournemouth, makes a lot of sense. The really interesting one to me is Ferran Torres. Ferran Torres was signed for... Um, roughly 20, 21 million pounds from Valencia or Valencia. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you heard our Graham Rutherford show, you will know there's essentially a fire sale at Valencia. So they got Torres pretty cheap. I don't know if you've seen Torres play before, but this guy is absolutely magnificent. Yeah. So So on the right wing, right-footed, which I think is important because that's not how Man City have been playing. They've been playing inverted wingers, right? Um, But yeah, he is so fast and so direct. And we'll just destroy people dribbling in field and then we'll whip in these low, low crosses or high crosses that are bendy and on target, or he'll go at goal. And I think he will just add something a little different down that right side because normally they've got like a left footed Riyad Mahrez dribbling inside, mm-hmm. right? So I think, uh, Francois, he's only, I want to say 20 years old. He's always young, he's really enthusiastic, up, yeah. quick, direct, lively, terrifying to defend and offers a bit of, Um, something a little different in terms of being right footed and on the right wing, but still being able to come inside, which most players can't do, right? Normally, if you're right footed and you're on the right, you go outside. The problem is they've signed him and it would have made perfect sense until these Leo Messi rumors started.
1: Oh, no. Didn't think about that.
0: Because if Leo Messi comes in and does play like wide right, which, you know, he has like 50% of his time, right? He plays wide right. Suddenly, Torres is a little bit extra that they didn't need. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Mares is a little bit extra, but they didn't need. But one way or another, there are definitely too many players on that right wing for Man City if Messi comes in. Is it insane?
1: I'm going to bring it up again. Is it insane that I'm not sure Messi makes uh, Man City better?
0: No, I think there's a lot of people have argued the exact same thing. I mean, okay. just in terms of whether he contributes to the pressing game or not yeah. right, is, mm-hmm. is a major thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so in some ways, regardless, or like removing the messy aspect of this equation, I think the other reason why it is so smart for Man City is because I think Fernando Torres is very quick, can learn the system, maybe can do the inverted thing if need be, or maybe they'll change it up a little bit to suit his uh, delivery style. But the bigger thing is, what did you say, 22 million?
0: Yeah, no, 20 to 21. It's actually, what I saw reported was 20.87 million, which is obviously a conversion from Euros. I don't know how many Euros.
1: Yeah. So I think given that they also in the same window sold Leroy Sana, who did not want to be there anymore for 50 million euros. Yeah. Uh, a decent bit of business to get an, a, a wide, speedy player who's good on the ball and can score goals, but actually wants to be there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to think of him as a Leroy Sana replacement is probably mm. the correct the correct take, right?
1: That would be my I've guess. Got, yeah. I've
0: got a Messi take for you as well. Sure. I think if he does go to Man City, the best spot to play him would be in that centre forward role. So he would replace Aguero or Gabriel Jesus.
1: Yeah, and that has been speculated, right? That it would be like any deal would include a couple players, likely Gabriel Jesus going the other way. And then, yeah, you have Messi, Sergio Aguero as the backup
0: just in case. That's a decent <laughs> backup to have. But just position wise, I think it, yeah. he'd be better off play, playing there. I essentially.
1: agree. Yeah. I agree. Because, yeah, you put him out on the wing. He's not going to do a lot of that work. At least I don't think he will. And mm-hmm. it's it's. Obviously it's a little Messi obviously he's very very good i think it's just that at barcelona it is an inherited problem it's an inherited thing there's an acceptance of we're going to build around Lionel messi because we have leo messi Man City have not been building around Lionel Messi because, I believe, based on what I just said, they did not have Lionel Messi. And <laughs> now to bring him in, it requires a sort of fundamental change in your approach, and you've got to change things up and find ways to fit other people in and fit people around him. And I think that's where it could be sort of disruptive. So even if long-term it works, I think short-term it could be a little bit strange, but maybe that's cart before the horse and we can wait until things yeah. actually progress from here.
0: And if anyone can figure it out, it, it could be Pep. With well, yeah if you want to watch La Liga or you Mm -hmm. want to watch the Premier League, you could do a lot worse than using today's sponsor, Fubo TV. Um, The Fubo. Over-the-top internet television, the Fubo, um, as Taylor calls it. Because you basically get all the soccer channels. You get NBC Sports Network and all the other NBCs so you can watch the Premier League. You get Be In Sports where you can watch uh, La Liga and increasingly, I've been watching a bit of uh, League 1 because I think yeah. that's where everybody gets their centre-backs from nowadays. So I recommend watching League 1 on Be In Sports. There's also obviously ESPN, Fox Sports, all the usual sports channels to get all your soccer.
1: And then it is streaming TV, so you can also get all of your terrible, terrible television, like Below Deck and 90 Day Fiancé, which are both on our DVR, I'm going to assume, because my wife put them there.
0: (laughs) Bless her. Bless her. (laughs) So, yeah, you can get the 30-hour DVR or the 500-hour DVR if you really, really want to go for it. We also recommend the Family Plan. Where up to three people can watch at the same time. So essentially three people can share yeah. one Fubo login. If you look at our Reddit page right now, there is one listener who is looking into uh, doing exactly that. If you know. I what like I mean. that.
1: I do. And uh, you mentioned that 500 hours of DVR storage, that comes with the family plan. So if there are three of you, uh, I, I'm not even going to try to do the fractional math of three-fifths. But yes, you get a lot of storage. You get like
0: 133 hours of storage, I think. All math? kinds of all kinds of episodes of Below nope. Deck. math was wrong.
1: Going. I don't know. Move it on.
0: It's <laughs> a lot of episodes of Below Deck either way. Right? It is.
1: It is. It, <laughs> is. it certainly is. And that's what we're all here for.
0: <laughs> um, we recommend... Were- six uh,
1: 166 hours each. Let's go with that
0: let it go taylor let it go um, Fine. <laughs> i do know how many free days you get in the free day trial it's a seven day free trial um, if you go to mm-hmm. fubo.tv slash tss that's fubo.tv slash tss for a seven day free trial of fubo tv thank you to fubo for sponsoring today's show taylor i've been waiting for you to bring up chelsea am i gonna have to mm-hmm. do it or are you gonna finally do it
1: i mean i think you just sort of did it didn't you
0: Okay, so I don't know if the Kai Havertz transfer has gone through.
1: Well, I just meant literally that you, in bringing up whether or not I'm going to bring up Chelsea or bringing up Chelsea. But I yes, know, I know. Go it, ahead it, and talk about some Chelsea. It,
0: it was a method, it was a method. I don't know if the Kai Havertz transfer has gone through. I do know this morning I saw that uh, Leverkusen had accepted a £72 mm-hmm. million, pounds, I believe, offer. But I do know that everybody banging on about Lampard needing to sign defenders mm-hmm. um, finally has to shut up because yep. Lampard has signed three defenders for Chelsea. 36-year-old Thiago Silva on a two-year deal, Ben Chilwell for a deal that I think is worth around 50 million pounds, You're and Malang Sarr on a free from Nice. Those mm. are the three the three transfers. I would say these are interesting just on the basis that Chelsea finally signed some defenders. Yep.
1: Yes, I think so too. Uh, I think the thing that I was most interested in when it comes to Chelsea, uh, because lest we forget, they also have Hakim Zayish coming in, Ziyech coming in for, yeah. uh, with Timo Werner, I think that was, those two combined were over 85 million pounds. You mentioned Ben Showell, the Havertz fee coming in. It's very likely they're going to end up spending over 200 million pounds in this window. And my question then was, how are they able to do that? Because most clubs are, uh, sort of cutting prices looking for options looking for value and bargains and things like that so how is it that Chelsea are able to do this and I think I have some answers would you like to get into them now or should I hold off until we talk about some of those players individually
0: no I mean here, okay here's the thing I want to say though mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people talking about how this is complicated and to me it's yeah. just not complicated they had a transfer ban so they didn't spend money for a while so yeah. they've got a bunch of money to spend right it's not to me it's not that complicated
1: well, the issue remains loss because you can only have a set amount of loss over that three-year period to be with play. financial fair play. Exactly. Yeah. The thing there would be that, number one, I think it's already been stated that financial fair play rules are going to be a little bit less strenuous than they've been in the past. And yeah. then when you look at what's happened with those rules recently – I wouldn't even say they were strenuous in the first place. So I'm not sure it's that big of an issue to begin with. But you're absolutely right, Daryl, that due to that ban, I think that, that year they only end up spending $40 million for the agreed-upon fee to bring in Mateo Kovacic. Yep. So they don't have that much... They don't really have a loss there, if anything, they're making money. But the other two things I think are worth noting are that, like, for 2018-2019, I think pre tax they lost $100 million, but they brought in over $100 million from player sales. So they do still have that revenue. But the biggest thing that I kind of forget every single time and I think is worth bringing up here is amortization, which I always forget as a thing. And maybe you didn't, Daryl, but I'll just say briefly, it's the idea that like the the $54 million that they reportedly paid for Timo Werner, they're not paying that up front. It's not like that all hits this year. It's spread out over the length of his contract. So well, he ends up, I think... Go ahead.
0: I, I want to correct you a little bit. There's a difference mm. between when, when you're paying the transfer fee and amortization.
1: Mm. Right, right, right. right. Sorry, you can sorry,
0: pay yeah. a transfer fee in installments, like Juventus paying the $18.5 for McKinney over three different installments. And that's literally when they spend the money, send the money to Schalke. Mm-hmm. Um, with Timo Werner, if they did pay 55 for him up front, like straight to Leipzig, that's fine, but they can still put it in their books as being spread the um, over the length of his contract. That's the important thing about amortization that's
1: what I sorry I explained that poorly but yes my point was that like it's not automatically oh they've lost 200 million they spent 200 million this window how are they able to afford that it's that when you fold in I think you split that over the length of his contract and add in his salary they've actually only spent 20 million this year on Timo Werner and then you can see how though that is a massive amount they move some players on and with the money they've already sort of banked having already targeted this season as one where they were going to spend a bunch of money I think then it makes more sense how they're able to do this with that worrying too much about financial fair play
0: yeah all football teams do this and the the key is that when you sell a player you report yep. the sale as like the total amount coming mm-hmm. straight in and you report it that year and when you buy a player you amortize it over the length of his contract so as long as you plan carefully for the future you can always do a bit of a balancing act mm. and then in Chelsea's favor is that just last year they sold Eden Hazard for 100 yep. million exactly right? and at the same time weren't allowed to spend much in the transfer window so um I'll tell you what I appreciate you doing the work. I appreciate you reading the Swiss Rambles Twitter feed, which is, uh, I assume, is where you got this info. Because I know no, they, they from, do the athletic, oh, fact, from the Athletic. Because I have one
1: more thing to say about it, which I think is oh, okay. also very important, but maybe less heralded, is that if you think back on Chelsea during the like early days of the uh, pandemic, there are no furloughs. They're fully paying all their people. They open up their hotel to allow uh, NHS workers to stay there so that they have an easier commute. And they do a lot of things to help the community, and certainly there, some of that is that they're trying to do good works and help in ways they can, but it's also building goodwill, and it's building good PR, and they haven't furloughed people, and then they go and spend that money on players. They sort of, I think, knowing that they were going to spend a lot of money this window, regardless of what happened, I think they set themselves up in a very smart way to not get some of that heat for like at a time when things are crumbling and there's not enough money, they're spending how much on players? You haven't really heard that about Chelsea. Yeah. And I think it's because they took a smart approach in the early days of the pandemic.
0: So let's talk about the players they did buy. Sure. So again, Silva on a free, but on a big, mm-hmm. a big wage, 100,000 or so a week. Um, Chilwell for around 50 million to play left back. And and Malang-Sar on a free. I think that's good business at centre-back, although I've got some doubts about Thiago Silva which doubts do you have? So I want people to be aware that I'm very aware that Thiago Silva is one of the grand old gentlemen of centre-backing, mm-hmm. right? I've been a huge fan of his game for a long, long time. There was that moment um, in the Champions League final when he stepped out, thought he could get there first before Thomas Muller, and that's essentially the reason that PSG conceded the first goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think at 36... You might see Thiago Silva get beat a couple times because he's very brave about stepping out to win the ball. I think you'll find him maybe just get it wrong a few times where he'll step to win something and think, think he'll get there. Um, and he, he won't quite get there.
1: Yeah, I, I find this one slightly confusing because he's got the name recognition. And I think he has some of that impact of bringing him in, turns some heads, lets people see that Chelsea are making signings. But I'm absolutely with you that he is an older older fellow who has injury concerns kind of consistently, uh, at least to my understanding. I feel like when we see PSG play, there's always doubts about Thiago Silva. Yeah. So I don't think the Premier League is necessarily going to help with that. And if anything, it will exacerbate it. So in some ways, it reminds me of David Luiz coming back to Chelsea from PSG and sort of thinking like, he hasn't gotten way better than when you all signed him, but okay, and we'll see what happens. And actually, what happened is he ended up getting sold to Arsenal.
0: It reminds me of um, Alex Ferguson signing Laurent Blanc for Manchester United. He was just a player he'd admired his whole mm. career, and he couldn't quite get him at Man United until right at the end of his career. Yeah. And he had some decent games, but he definitely also got exposed in certain games. So yeah. Especially the way Chelsea play, right? It's so expansive and attacking. Um, I'm sure Thiago Silva will have some fine fine games but I think he'll have some moments that, that he'll regret I, um, yeah I agree well. with you yeah. the Ben
1: Showa one I think makes more sense and is kind of straightforward and I think people are probably a bit more familiar with him I'm going to guess people are less familiar with Malang Sar. Yeah, uh, Daryl I, I know you did some digging there what have you unearthed about him
0: so I went and watched some, some Nice footage with Malang Sar. Um he plays he's only young right I think he's 22 or so um, He again get all your centre backs from Ligue 1 that's where they all are and the French national team by the way could could start a game with twenty centre backs if they, they, really could if they wanted to. Um, he's, he's. I've seen him play left side of a back three for Nice. A um, lot of like just good straight up defending, right? Not going to get beat for pace. Positioning looks fine. Wins a lot of balls, all that sort of stuff. But what he's really, really good at, from what I can tell, is chipping balls forward for players to run onto. So what I got, what I got really excited about watching uh, Malang Saf footage was the idea of cooler sick like breaking behind an opposition right back or center back and Malenxar playing this ball that he seems to keep playing where it's it's not a low ball it's not a high ball it's a perfectly judged overball where it's just like oh a boy. foot a direct over ball a, a direct over ball but it's just like a foot above the head of the centre back or the defender, but mm. lands ahead of the attacking player for them to for them to run onto with just a little bit of backspin on it, so it holds up a little bit as well. So I think there's a special like Malang Sarr pass that we might see him making for Chelsea, and watching Pulisic or Timo Werner or other players like that run onto it could be an absolute weapon for Chelsea next year.
1: Do you have an idea, and if you don't, totally fine. Do you have an idea if this is likely to be their center their starting center back duo, or do you think uh Zuma or Christensen or somebody else has a chance to get in there and sort of stake a claim?
0: Well, I honestly don't know if they're gonna play a back four or a back three mm. or switch back and forth between those those things, right? So yeah. I, I can't tell which way it's gonna be. We, if you imagine Chilwell is going to be either a left-back or a left-wing-back in that situation. I'm just trying to piece out where all the other players are I say
1: Zuma, I meant Rudiger. My bad. Sorry. Well, I mean, they're both,
0: they're both there, right? Yeah. Um, and you've also got, uh, what, uh, Cesar Azpilicueta was sometimes playing as part of a back three. Oh, yeah. He'll probably go play right back, right? I assume Alonso will not be involved <laughs> very much anymore. So what does that give us? That gives us Malang Sarr, Thiago Silva, Antonio Rudiger, Kurt Zuma. I think Andres Christensen is going to be the guy to miss out.
1: I mean, Matt Miazga
0: would like a word with you. Matt Miazga is going to be the guy to go on loan. <laughs> yes, yes, right? he is. So yeah. yeah, I think you'll get essentially either a back three or two centre backs pulled from Thiago Silva, Malang Sarr, um, uh, Rudiger and Zuma. Mm-hmm. That would make okay. sense to me. Yeah, and maybe Silva like- just won't play that many games, right? Because again, thirty six injuries, etc. Um, and maybe Malang Sarr will need time to to bed in a little bit. So maybe there, maybe it'll be a whole rotation thing that Lampard's got going in Chelsea's defence.
1: I'm really excited to learn to read more about Chelsea to watch some of their preseason games to see how this season goes because I could see them being electrifying and being a title contender I could see this going very poorly very quickly or even something in between I think there's yeah. a lot on the table for Chelsea and I think they're going to be really exciting this season
0: it's in a weird way it's or got to go it's got to go well because there are so many high-profile players that are going to yep. be rotated and rotated like is going to probably play less now that Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech are there right yeah. and, and Kai Havertz just because there's so many attacking players um, I think there'll just be a big rotation thing and if it's if it's going great then everybody's happy right if it's going badly then everybody's mad that they're not playing and the team's losing mm-hmm.
1: Speaking of happiness can I talk about a different team or do we want to stick with Chelsea for a moment? Go minute? for it Alright I want to talk about Everton because I am really excited to see if Carlo Ancelotti is going to assemble his ideal, my favorite guys that I like to coach uh, starting 11. <laughs> it seems like that's been their recruitment policy so far. If they bring in the two players that they're heavily linked with, they may have already signed officially by the time people hear this, but they are heavily linked with James Rodriguez, who has not been training with Real Madrid, uh, has already agreed to personal terms, but he played under Carlo Ancelotti at both Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. Mm. Uh, so he very likely is moving to Everton this season. And then Alan from Napoli. 29 year old Brazilian midfielder uh, for a fee around the same as Hamas Rodriguez, but played for Carlo Vincelati at Napoli. So I think. I like Carlo Ancelotti, uh, the manager, to begin with, but then there are all the stories about how he likes people that sort of – he's a little bit more laissez-faire. He likes to let people do what, what they want to do as long as it fits within his style and his approach and he's not sort of micromanaging or nitpicking. And so I think that partially explains who he's going after. But also a lot of the issues with Everton's midfield last season when he's playing the four-four-two with what Sigurdsson and Schneiderlin – I would say you could sort of plug in Alan and James Rodriguez, and it doesn't solve any of those concerns necessarily, but I think those personnel make more sense than the people who were there before.
0: Yeah, there might be some players moving on from Everton.
1: I would guess. So Schneiderlin already has, I believe. Yeah. I won't be surprised if there's several more exits and a few more arrivals as well.
0: Yeah, it was mostly Sigurdsson and the Portuguese gentleman whose name is on the tip of my tongue, but not coming out of my mouth.
1: Is it one of the Gomeses?
0: Yes, yes, and just Gomez. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I hate that yeah. feeling. I hate that feeling.
1: Andre Gomez, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll I, see. I, right, I not say one of the I always ahead. get him confused
1: with all the Silvas. That's what I was throwing. say. <laughs> Andre Silva, and Adrian Silva. There's too many Adrians and Andres uh, in the world. So do you have anything yeah, else to say
0: it. on Hamez or Alan? I hadn't to be honest, I hadn't looked into this because I knew it hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's j- just that I think at this point, the reporting, like I think the Napoli president came out and said, Alan is leaving for Everton. Hamez has already been declared surplus to requirements at Real Madrid and I think has agreed personal terms. So that's where it felt very real to me. And it also just felt like Carlo Ancelotti thinking, yeah, you two were good for me when I needed you to be good. So I'll bring you in and you'll be good for me in the Premier League. Let's make it happen. And I sort of... Trust Carlo Ancelotti until I don't, which is basically whenever he manages someone I like and then it doesn't go well. But for right now, I think it will be. It makes the Premier League more fun for sure, and throw over in there as well. That's a decent attacking side for Everton.
0: It also it's finally a forever home for James Rodriguez. Let's hope. Let's hope. All right? he's been loaned out um, and then sent back mm-hmm. so many times. I've finally, I just want James Rodriguez so to,
1: much kennel time for James. So, so much, much kennel, kennel
0: time. time, yeah. Um, and I really, I think going to a team like Everton, who, you know, with all due respect, are not quite in that big six bracket, where he will obviously be the key guy who will start every week mm-hmm. and everyone will look to him to make things happen. He hasn't had that apart from when he's played for Colombia, right? And when he previously played for Monaco. Monaco yeah. So finally, we'll get to have like Hammers be the center of a team. I mean, even at Bayern and all, all those sorts of teams that he went on loan to, it, it was never quite the same, was it? It was never the full Hammers experience.
1: No, it wasn't. And you're absolutely right. Like watching him for Columbia, it's just a different entity. It's a different animal. Yeah. He's so good. And the way he's able to conduct things and pull strings. And there was the, the pressing trap and there was the passing trap. And he was central to both of those for Columbia. So I think putting him in a position to shine and be the main man at Everton, I think will only work out in the long run. That said, he is, I think, 29, I yeah, think I said earlier. That's fine. So. He's got some. He's got some years, but he's course, not. Yeah. He's not the long-term successor or anything like that.
0: But at least he's finally found his forever home. And he, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With his his
1: long years. With yeah. a big field and lots of space to run. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Richarlison to play with. It'll be great. Exactly. It'll be great. Yeah, it's, it's also could. honestly, it's a signifier for Everton, right? It's a signifier <laughs> yes, that Everton is. really are serious about spending money and buying big-name players. If I'm an Everton fan, I'm sort mm-hmm. of ecstatic about this signing.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, and it, and it follows why you signed Carlo Ancelotti to be your manager because it automatically yeah. gives you that coaching pedigree. Does Andre, so- another Andre, does Andre so- or Marco Silva, Marco Silva get that, that like transfer across the line? I, I don't know. I don't know if he probably David Moyes doesn't have his does. phone number,
0: right? Whereas Ancelotti can just text him.
1: Exactly. Good call. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm just sure, as <laughs> I said,
0: I was referring to Hamas going out other places on loan. He was at Bayern Munich for two years, right? And then didn't he spend last year just at Real Madrid, kind of hanging around?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, hey. it's, it's tough to get the uh, James Coutinho. You can kind of replace them at Bayern Munich. Like, which one's <laughs> there and which
0: one isn't? I forget. I've got two more transfers for you, Taylor. Let's do one I, to talk I, about. I am
1: all out, so I look forward to yours. Okay.
0: Um, I'll do a quick one. Just, a, I think, kind of a guy to keep an eye on. Aberachie um, Eze, who was signed from QPR, where he was lighting up the championship. Uh, he's gone to Crystal Palace for around £19 million. Pounds. I really like this because it's another guy who really can dribble, right? You're in trouble if Eze is dribbling at you. Um, as almost a Wilfred Zaha compliment. Mm. And provided Crystal Palace don't sell Wilfred Zaha, then all of a sudden you've got kind of a, a double threat coming at you with, with Zaha and Eze. And then I'm also interested in the idea of, can players who are really good at just going past people in the championship, as Eze was for QPR, does that translate to the Premier League? Or do you suddenly find like... Oh, these defenders are a lot better. That move doesn't work
1: here. What do you think is going to happen?
0: I mean, I feel like the truth is always somewhere in between. But I'm really interested. The first time Eze goes on a dribble, like to see, (laughs) does someone stick him? Like, does Gabriel from Arsenal just step across and win the ball with his hands behind his back, Um, or does he just does he keep on going? I feel like he'll keep on going.
1: Yeah. But I'm excited. You're right. You're right. The, those are the kind of transfers that I think can sort of slip through the cracks, especially in such an abbreviated time period. It's why we're going to do a larger Premier League preview, I think next week. Yeah. But that's the type of player I'm going to watch more of and, and try to have some thoughts on, uh, when next we speak.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you want to just, just, just Google SA highlights or take a mm-hmm. look on Y Scout. I don't know. Make yourself a cup of coffee. Maybe have a cookie and sit back and enjoy.
1: <sighs> yes. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can I guess who your final one is going to be?
0: I feel like you know because I told you I was going to talk about this transfer and I haven't talked about it I yet. I knew there was
1: going to be Wolves.
0: Yes, okay. except ahead. it's an outward transfer. Mm-hmm. It's Matt Doherty going from Wolves to Spurs for the paltry sum of £14.7 million. Pounds.
1: Yeah. 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 I saw this happen and I saw the consternation about it happening as to how this move was possible how Daniel Levy can be such a good negotiator? Uh, and I assumed you would have an answer. And I think you do. And I think it works pretty well.
0: Yes. And just to, to bolster the case for listeners who may be honest, familiar with Matt Ducarty. He's played right wing back for Wolves for um, forever. He signed 10 mm-hmm. years ago for, for £75,000. Yeah. But the last two years in the Premier League, I actually don't have his stats to hand. But you've seen him contribute in the box with goals and assists Galore mm-hmm. from right wing back. He's been one of Wolves like sort of uh, main goal threats and main assist threats, combining really well with Adama Traore down that right wing. He's only twenty eight years old, which means you could, you know, conceivably one big transfer, a four-year contract, and he's still like at the top of his game, right? So fourteen point seven million pounds is an absolute steal. This guy should be mm-hmm. worth a lot, lot more. He changed agents in the last year. Mm-hmm. And Matt Dockett's agent for this move is George Mendes.
1: Of course it is. I love, Nuno, this. I love this.
0: Nuno, the Wolves coach's agent, is George mm-hmm. Mendes. And best friends with Jeff She, the Wolves chairman, part of the Fosun Group, is George Mendes, who is unofficially advising Wolves. And Jose Mourinho's agent is George Mendes. Mm. I think... I mean, no one's going to say this out loud, right? And no one's going to publish this in the press. But I'm really confident that this is part of the uh, deal with the devil is like a cliche, right? But it's, yeah. it's not quite that because it's worked out really well for Wolves and they knew what they were getting into, right? They weren't tricked. But part of the deal of getting in bed with George Mendes and having the upside of things like, hey, how about Ruben Neves, one of the best up-and-coming midfielders, yeah. um, maybe in the world, definitely in Portugal, for 15 million pounds, and he'll come and play for you in the second tier and join you from Porto. That deal was too good to be true. The flip side of deals that are too good to be be true for you is that George Mendes will ask for a favour back. So it's more like the Mafia than it is a deal with the devil, right? One day I will come to you for a favour. This is Wolves (laughs) having to sew up Sonny's face real good so he can have an open casket funeral, right? (laughs) This is George Mendes asking for the favour in return. And the favour in return is that his client, Matt Doherty, can be sold to a club where he's got heavy representation with Jose Mourinho for less than market value. So that's Mm -hmm. what I think has happened here with Matt Doherty.
1: Which which feels illegal for a moment. It really does because it feels like there's a lot of people who are on the same side but also on the other side of the table negotiating with themselves and how is this allowed? And I think it's probably a sort of thing that you get like we've been at events for MLS where you have all the GMs just sort of hanging out and you forget that like oh yeah these guys are all business associates they're all friends they're yeah. all peers they all know each other it feels like a sort of very relaxed type of transfer as opposed to some of the more contentious ones where it was sort of everybody a little bit on the same page of like we're willing to let him go we want to sign him he wants to go yeah. we're going to That's get the something out well. of this he, yeah. I think
0: he wants to just like he spent 10 years at Wolves and he's been part mm-hmm. of the journey but he maybe wants to go and just experience Playing for a bigger team, right?
1: Yeah, and Spurs are a so, bigger team than Wolves, so it, it feels sort of like icky, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, but I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only evidence that there's any wrongdoing is the conjecture in this podcast. That's all that's yeah. that's all that's been recorded and would be able to bring up in court, and you don't get convicted on conjecture. So I mean
1: that that and the fact that like a starting defender for a top top half Premier League team. Let that defender move, or like that defender move for thirteen million pounds, which is like I don't know the record. The the record sum paid by like Freiburg or something like that. (laughs) Like it's it's a lot lower than you probably would have expected for a player of that caliber.
0: Yes, um, exactly. And Spurs fans, if you're listening, um, you're getting a really interesting player. But I think I, I think he's a really odd player, Matt Doherty. And I've I've always really struggled for a way to. Describe what he's good at and what he's bad at. Because you would think mm-hmm. that uh, a right-back that scores a bunch of goals and gets a load of assists, I think assists second only to Trent Alexander-Arnold last season. Oh. Um, you know, the the Liverpool-Beckham right-back. Right um, of course. Um, I finally watched a video by Nathan Clark, who we've had on the show before. He's uh, with the Extra Inch podcast. Um really good Tottenham analysis where Nathan Clark watched some Matt Doherty footage and came up with this brilliant description of him, which I, I absolutely agree with. Good in both boxes, not great in between.
1: <laughs> which feels like a burn, but I think that makes sense. It's
0: it's like half a burn, right? Because yeah. He really is good in both boxes. When you get forward, he's so good at making that, like that run to the, the far post when there's a cross coming in from the left wing, right? That's how he got a lot of his goals. He's very mm-hmm. good at knowing when to come in from the flank and get involved in the box and cause trouble so that Traore can exploit it, right? He's very, very good at that stuff. In the defensive box, he's really, really good at being part of that very, um, literally well-organized Wolves back five where if there's a cross coming from the other side he will be there to to mark the left winger or to block what's going on or to come in and make sure nothing can happen but when Wolves are like progressing the ball through midfield he's not the guy that's going to take a touch and like roll his foot over the top of the ball and nutmeg someone and and get out of a tight space you know the way Sergio Dest can Right. So, Junior Mm -hmm. Dest, if he's surrounded by three people and he's against the line, you've still got this weird faith that he's going to wiggle his way out of trouble. Um, Matt Doherty's never ever going to do that. He's just not quite technical enough to ever, to ever do that. But he is going to work really hard running up and down and provide something in, in both boxes. So, good in both boxes, not great in between is a great, great, great summary of Matt Doherty.
1: I would also just say, uh, because you've covered all that very, very well, I just love that you said, I believe, actually uh, well, well-organized offense, yeah. and I know what you mean, and I appreciate it, my yeah. friend.
0: <laughs> so that's it. That's all the, all the interesting transfers I've got on my list, mm-hmm. which, we, by the way, Taylor, was handwritten today. I went old school.
1: Oh, wow. I st- my, my initial list was handwritten, and then uh, my notes were not, because I, I think my notes are genuinely a bit more ridiculous than yours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by Ridiculous.
1: Well, mine, I'm a bullet point fan. You know that. Yeah, and yeah. I tend to have like 13 bullet points under every single one. And yours tends to be uh, in like size 18 font scribbled quickly. But then you <laughs> have retained all that information that
0: I have written down. Yeah, mine are more hints of what to say rather than uh, the whole thing. <laughs>
1: mine, isn't, mine isn't the whole thing. I'm reading from my script where it says mine isn't the whole no, thing.
0: No, your, your notes say Taylor, colon, and then it's got what you're going to say, right?
1: Yeah. And then Daryl Vamps, <laughs> and then my next line. It's a, it's semi scripted is what we're going for here.
0: <laughs> the semi scripted total soccer show. Yeah. Um, which by the way, I've enjoyed having the, having the band back together, having the gang back yeah. together. Um, Me too. we will obviously be back with more shows later this week. Tuesday's show is going to be allocation disorder, as we mentioned, but probably I'm going to guess Wednesday's total soccer show will be a listener question special, Taylor. Lots of listener questions to catch up on. And then maybe some guests, maybe more, um, shows that we haven't thought of yet how about that for the rest of the week
1: <laughs> yeah I'm excited I, I was also very excited to have the vacation and I would say Daryl you're always doing a very nice job of thanking me when I when I cover for you thank you for putting out so many great shows with Jason with Graham and with uh, Drawing a Blank even though we've already just talked about David it David Amayal David thank you, you uh, yes uh, as, as I said the David one I've listened to was great I'm sure the other two were as well but I will be listening to those but it was also nice to take a vacation I think this was the first like non-holiday vacation That my wife and I have taken since maybe the last time we were at the beach with you and your (laughs) wife.
0: Oh, we possibly work too hard, don't we?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just maybe. Just maybe.
0: All right, Tyler, I will close the show slightly differently today. I'm going to close the show by saying Wakanda forever.
1: Wakanda forever.